Hey, welcome to the Juice Box Podcast, episode 28. Uh, this episode is going to be a conversation with Steve Paselli. Steve is the Executive Vice President, Strategy and Corporate Development for Dexcom. And um, Basil's pretty loud in the background today. But anyway, so listen, so, you know, about 10 days ago, Google, Google and Dexcom make this announcement that, um, you know, they've kind of formed a partnership. I saw a lot of excitement online about it. I reached out and was able to talk to the CEO of Dexcom, Kevin Sayer, about the announcement. And we chatted about Dexcom uh, in general in episode 27. And then a week and a half later, very unexpected for everybody, Dexcom received FDA approval for their Dexcom Generation 5, their G5 product, uh, months ahead of when they expected. It made another big splash online. And I thought, well, you know, Kevin got such a great response um, on the podcast and, and was so open and, and conversational. Let me see who else is over there at Dexcom that might want to talk on the podcast. And we found Steve. So did the same thing. You can hear Dexcom's beeping in the background at my house. Did the same thing. I reached out on Facebook and on my blog at Ardensday.com. I asked for people's uh, initial questions about the G5 launch. I put them in some sort of order that made sense to me. And I had a conversation with Steve just now, just now, about uh, about the questions. And he he did his best to answer all of them. I think he got through... He got through everyone I asked him, and I, I found that there were satisfactory answers to everything he said. And so I really appreciate uh, Steve coming on. Thank you, Steve. And I appreciate everybody out in the community who offered up questions. I know I didn't get to everyone, um, but there are in-specific but great answers for Canadian and European listeners, so hold on for that. And just a lot of stuff about little worries when something's you know first announced that you you start, you have concerns about, but then somebody kind of belays them for you. And uh, I think this is a great primer for understanding the Dexcom, uh, excuse me, the Dexcom G5 system and how the transition and the upgrade and, and costs for out-of-pocket people, all that stuff is going to be right here. So uh, that's, let's do it. Just remember that anything you hear on the Juicebox podcast is not to be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and uh, settle in and, and listen to Steve Paselli talk about uh, Dexcom's latest latest FDA approval, which seems like they're coming fast and furious for Dexcom. They really do. Uh, they do seem to have the Midas touch for getting things through the process. So uh, good for them and good for us. Uh, Dexcom G5 will be a transmitter that does not need the receiver. So if you're an iOS user at the moment, just iOS, um, you will be able to, uh, to use your iPhone or iPod touch to look at your blood sugars without ever needing to bring that receiver with you. Um, exciting stuff, I thought. Steve thought, and uh, hopefully you'll think it. Here we go. Meredith. Meredith, hi, I'm Scott Benner. I'm calling to interview Stephen for a podcast. Sure, just one second. Visit our website, Dexcom.com, and please hold. We'll be right with you. Hi, Steve. Steve, hey, it's Scott Benner. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Well, we've been a little busy around here the last few last few weeks between uh, the Google deal, our uh, our our earnings release, and then just. Just obviously announcing Gen 5 here yesterday. Well, I can I can tell you from my website traffic that the Gen 5 is the big news. Although Google was really big. 
Yeah, you know, Google, the, the thing with Google is it's still, although it's an exciting news announcement, it's, you know, it's two to three years before there's, you know, even even an ounce of contribution from a revenue perspective. So it's, it's a lot more futuristic in terms of some of the things we're going to do with them. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, Gen 5 is here and now, so I think everybody is pretty excited. I don't know how much time we have. Do you know what you've got set aside? Yeah, well, it, 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 it depends. If you're wanting to do something more like a like a recorded podcast type thing, I probably want to limit it to about 10 minutes just because we don't have that much to talk about with Gen 5. Can I ask you a question? I, I've come uh, equipped with just Gen 5 questions from the public, and I can tell you that I had... Um, 10,000 hits on my blog yesterday about Gen 5. So okay. I told people I was talking to you and they're probably very rudimentary questions that people could probably, you'll probably while you're answering them, think to yourself, but these are on the frequently asked questions page. But I think if someone could sit down and just over a few minutes, just, just hear it, I actually, I think people would really like it. So if you're up for it, um, I have some of those questions I could run through and then um, and then I've got my, my fans from Europe and Canada who are always bugging me to ask you when that's all they want to know <laughs> when. So, um, yeah. but if you don't mind, I'm just, we can just roll right into it. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, great. And I'll cold open later and I'll let people know who you are and everything. So we don't have to go through the trouble of you introducing yourself and everything. Okay, great. Okay. So like I said, I reached out into the diabetes community. I said, I was going to be talking to you today and I kind of made a list of questions based on you know how many times I saw the question. So I think the four kind of like main components are people want to understand the transition, you know, the upgrading process. You know, there's always somebody who's like, I just got one last week, you know. Um, yep, yep. People, people are concerned about uh, phasing out Gen 4, like what if I want to stay with it? What if it works with my, you know, with my, my T-Slim, that kind of stuff. And, um, and then there's a lot of out-of-pocket cost, out cost questions too. So... But I have a couple of my own questions first. So does the does the G5 approval happening sooner than you expected? Does that move up the G6 timeline at all? No, I, I would say they're, they're totally unrelated. Um, we obviously have kind of all hands on deck today to get the G5 launch mm -hmm. initiated. You know, we, we committed to, to launching late September. But the R&D resources that are focused on the, the final development of, of Gen 6 are really a separate group of people. So no, that, I would tell you they're, they're just not related. Those people are on their own timeline. So yep. it doesn't yep. affect it at all. Okay, so you mentioned kind of – so what is the behind the scenes? Like how, what, what's happening like there? What is the prepping like? Like what are you guys trying to get in order? So I'm assuming you want a smooth launch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, so it's, it's been a practice at Dexcom, as you're aware, that we, we try to launch immediately upon approval or, you know, within within a matter of days, if not weeks. Right. Um, I, I think that the interesting note here is that we, you know, if you, if you followed our approvals previously, we've always had separate approvals for adults and pediatric patients. Mm -hmm. Well, midway through the review cycle here, we were, we were obviously, we, we did it the way we normally did, and we ran a separate adult uh, trial and a, and a pediatric trial, the FDA actually approached and said, hey, we think you should just combine these. Um, we got a hint from the FDA that by combining them, it might slow the review process down slightly, but not, you know, not anything significantly. Right. So we kind of put our internal targets together and we were thinking, look, best case, by, because we supplemented the file to include pediatric patients, we thought best case, 
we're not going to see an approval until you know late September, early October. So we internally have been gearing up for a late September best case launch. So we were obviously pleasantly surprised that the FDA approved it sooner than we expected. Uh, but now we're in a situation where we've got to have all hands on deck to get, I mean, it's as simple as things like the final, you know, when you, when you get your approval, you're literally to the, to the last day is working back and forth with the FDA on final language in the instructions for use guide and things like that, right? So there are just some, some timing things that have to happen now. We've got to get the books printed to include in the boxes and, and things like that. So it just takes a couple of weeks to get us, uh, you know, get us situated and, and, and get the product out. I would tell you that the, the reason we, we were so specific in, in making sure you know, current purchasers, and even we went back as far as the, the August 1 purchasers, would be entitled to a no-cost upgrade to Gen 5, was to make sure and address those concerns of patients, both patients who uh, had just recently purchased, and, and more specifically for patients, you know, between now and the launch of Gen 5, what we don't want is we don't want patients to wait. If they're ready to go on the therapy and they're ready to adopt CGM, certainly don't wait. We're, we're, we're going to take care of the patients. We've always done this with every launch. We've always had some form of a, you know, a, a low cost or no cost upgrade. So we, you know, we just want to make sure that patients know we're going to do right by them and, and make sure they don't, they don't need to delay. The message is you don't need to delay going on CGM and risk having an obsolete technology. We will take care of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want people it's, it's, they're not cell phones. You don't want people sitting around for six or nine months, <laughs> not taking for care of yeah. yeah. For their two year window. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I could have had two great a one C's in a row, but I was waiting for the gen five. <laughs> so, um, okay. So here's a question I actually thought of this morning. So my wife is in pharma. She works at Novo now, but she worked at Novartis previously. And mm -hmm. a, a few years ago, she became part of this sort of like consortium of, of pharma companies, they would get together like once a year meet and just bounce ideas off each other. Just say, Hey, look, this is working for us. It was a real like open source, like, Hey, here's what goes well for us. And somebody might raise their hand and say, I have trouble with that. And somebody else would walk them through it. I found myself wondering this morning, do you think you guys would consider doing something like that with device manufacturers to, to show them how you're talking to the FDA? I know, you know it's a, I think it's a huge yeah. question, but but you guys are running forward so quickly compared to everybody else. I mean, it might be such a human benefit if everyone understood how you were doing that, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. And, and I'll be honest, I would tell you that we do deem our relationship with the FDA and our regulatory department headed by Andy Bailo. You know, we do deem that to be a significant competitive advantage, particularly versus, you know, potential sensor competitors. Sure. But we do, we do make our regulatory group, our, re our regulatory resources and our relationships available certainly to our partners. So mm -hmm. if you think, you know, Animus, Insulate, uh, Tandem, and, you know, potentially others on the software side that we've, that we've entered into partnerships with that we've agreed to, you know, to go, go present to the FDA and Tandem with them, or at least give them guidance as to, as to who and how they need to, to approach the FDA. So, you know, I, I do think we actually do that. It's probably not on maybe as, as, as formal of a basis as what you were describing with, with your, your wife and her you know, coalition with, within pharma, but it's really on a partner-by-partner -partner basis. But yeah, yeah I, I think we are definitely doing that today. Well, I'm, I'm calling for all those people who are partners with you to call up that gentleman and say, please tell me what you know that I don't <laughs> Uh, yeah, please, please yeah, he knows something. I, he must be the most popular guy there. Does he even walk anywhere? Do people carry him from room to room? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he does walk on water. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's amazing. It's um, okay, so some real kind of simple questions. Uh, sure. They're probably real fast-paced stuff. Uh, do 
let's start quickly, I guess, by saying the difference between the G4 and the new G5 that's going to be coming out really soon. It is it is the only difference really that it now you don't need the receiver and it'll speak directly to a, an iOS device. Yeah, that is that is correct. So we made the decision to launch one of the other key attributes was going to be the remote monitoring aspects of the share and follow system. Mm -hmm. But we made the decision earlier this year because it was approved to launch share and follow with the G4 platinum system. So yeah, with gen five, it'll be the same sensor. Uh, so same performance, same algorithm, the software 505, the algorithm we upgraded patients to last year will, will be included. So the real fundamental difference is that, the transmitter now houses the intelligence of the system, and the transmitter will actually connect directly to the smartphone. Does the processing happen in the transmitter, or is it going to happen in the app? It does. No, it, it happens in the transmitter, which the beauty of that design is that it enables us to much more rapidly iterate with our business partners. So once Animus, Tandem, Insulate upgrade their systems to be able to accommodate Gen 5 to be able to accommodate that Bluetooth transmission. Then if we go as we, because you know, you know how rapidly we iterate sensor technologies, in theory, they should just be able to pick up a Bluetooth signal from a transmitter. All the hard work is going on on the body in the transmitter on our end. And so it becomes pretty seamless for them to, to transition from Gen 5 to Gen 6 and then potentially future generations, assuming that the Bluetooth protocols don't change. So it's actually a very elegant design in that respect. Okay. Does the size of the transmitter, is it changing or is it the same as I have with the smaller G4? So the initial Gen 5 transmitter is slightly larger. It's about the size. I don't know if you had a, the original G4 I transmitter was yeah. slightly smaller or slightly larger. So because of battery constraints using a Bluetooth radio, it's slightly larger, although we're working on you know, all sorts of different ways to miniaturize. And I will tell you that the, the next generation transmitter that will come with the new applicator mm -hmm. will, actually be, will actually be about 30% smaller than this small G4 transmitter that you have today. So we're basically, we've got a little bridge here for this year to get... A little, a little bridge, yep, that's exactly the right way to think about it. A little bridge to, you know, something that's a little bit, you know, kind of back to that original G4 Platinum size, and then, and then it goes substantially smaller than, than even what you have on the G4 Platinum today. How much do you expect the Google collaboration to help that, that shrinking of the transmitter? Is that... Oh, I, I think... Yeah, I think it's going to be game-changing, but again, the, the real, so with Google, we're developing a series of products, and, and what we've said publicly about the, the products, you know, is that the first-generation product will certainly shrink it down, you know, substantially from where even that next-generation transmitter I just described, but the real game-changing uh, product that we intend to issue with Google probably isn't out for four or five years. Sure, sure. And that's that, that solution that we're describing that's, you know, around the diameter of a dime and the thickness of a couple pennies. Yeah. Uh, that, that's truly like a Band-Aid type sensor. That That's still probably four or five years away. Any change in the range, um, the Bluetooth range from the new G5 to, no. my, to my iPhone is going to be about the no, same as both, it's been to the receiver? Yeah, both, both, yeah, both 2.4 gigahertz radios with, with the same, you know, same basic range. So no, no difference. A uh, question about the battery life. So now, the these transmitters, you're gonna they're gonna turn on and they're gonna turn off on a certain date on their own. Is that correct? Can you walk me through that process? You know, so <clears throat> as we migrated from some seven plus to, to Gen four. So if you recall, the seven plus transmitter carried its twelve month warranty, and they lasted somewhere you know between twelve to maybe fifteen months. Mm -hmm. G four platinum because of the increase in power 
requirement had a six month warranty and they lasted, you know, six, seven, eight months, something like that. Right. Again, moving to Bluetooth, you again up the power, the consumption requirement. And so the transmitter is now going to go forward, carry a warranty for three months, and it's probably going to last somewhere between, you know, three to four months at most, simply because the battery itself is going to die. Okay. Okay. And so, so it's going to give you a, like a countdown and then it's going to, oh, yeah. you can't, you can't just live through it another month or so and go, Oh, it's still working. It's going to, it, will it actually have a drop dead date in it? You know, it will not, not initially, not immediately at okay. three months, but it, it will shut itself off because it's going to, the, the battery is going For to battery be reasons. Okay. So there's not a drop dead cutoff. It's when the battery can anymore. It yeah, just won't. That's right. And so when you and how does that happen when you pop it out of the packaging? I've, I think I've noticed in the packaging there's like a little metal disc in the back. Is that kind of what starts the battery up when you pull it out? That's right. That's exactly right. That the, the transmitter is basically sitting dormant, but as soon as you as soon as you pop it out of that packaging, it becomes active. So that Bluetooth radio is active, and that starts the battery drain. Okay. So my insurance. So my insurance is going to is actually going to give me two of these. When I when I ordered, is that right? depending? I guess on people's insurance is all different, but yeah, you guys are planning on shipping them like that. Yeah, the hope would be exactly that that we could ship two, so that the patients wouldn't have to come back every three months, right? That they would at least have the same, uh, you know, same length of use as they would have under their current G4 Platinum. So you, you put one in the you know put one in the drawer or on the shelf, use the first transmitter, and then pop out the second one. Uh, when the first one dies, and I start, I start thinking about reordering a couple months after that. So, um, how does that, how does that change out of pocket payers? Is, is it a big change for them, or is it just, is it just different pacing and different timing? So it's still a little bit to be determined, mm-hmm. but our expectation is that we're. <clears throat> let me let me kind of characterize it this way. You know, today transmitters, we're, we have an ASP in our transmitters of about 400 to $450. So let's say a payer today is paying somewhere between 800 to $1,000 per year for transmitters, and, and the patient's typically coming out of pocket maybe 20% of that. So we don't believe, and we're, we're certainly not thinking that we're going to try to up that because we've moved to a three-month transmitter. We're certainly not going to try to charge the payer, you know, sixteen hundred to two thousand dollars per year. Right, right. So, it, it, by and large, the the out of pocket expense for the patient shouldn't change. It should be roughly the same. It just might get moved around. Or you, you'll be ordering at different times than you expect, and things like that. And so, you, and the, but that is overall your goal is to try to keep things where they are for out of pocket payers. That's that's right. I would expect pricing in out of pocket. Now, some of that may change as we migrate the business to. From from a, the durable medical equipment benefit to the pharmacy benefit, that that's kind of a whole other topic of discussion. That and that's all that, very new right now too, right? That's all just all, all very very new. Yeah. Okay. So you know, at this point, we don't have frankly enough enough experience to, to be able to tell you what what we think is going to happen. Sure. But it, you know, it seems like it, it on really on most every case, the out of pocket expense should stay the same or, or potentially go down as we move. To- well, that's excellent news. Um, if I have a G4 receiver, can I get the new transmitter, but not the? Re- is, are you offering a firmware upgrade to the G4 receiver, or are they never going to talk to the G5 um, tr- transmitter? Yeah. So when a patient who's a G4 Platinum with Share, assuming they're a G4 Platinum with, with Share user, right, right, then 
that receiver can also serve as the G5 receiver. So when they're ready to upgrade, they would download a new firmware, mm-hmm. that receiver, which will turn it into a G5 receiver, and we would send a new a new transmitter, which is a G5 transmitter. Okay. Is there a cost break out there? Like, could, would it make? Does it make sense for me to just take the transmitter and not the receiver? But or or maybe not always. I guess it depends on if it's well, an insurance situation or what it is, right? So it, again, if you already have the 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 G4, it would be a package. So if you were to if you were to upgrade either, you know, if you're still in warranty, there, I don't think we we finalized on upgrade pricing yet. Again, mm-hmm. as a, other than to, to say that any patient that purchased, um, you know, August one going forward would receive a free upgrade. Right. We'll we'll end up um, having several other categories of upgrade because if you think about it, there are those patients who may be in warranty with a G4 Platinum with Share, which is one upgrade path because that's just a firmware upgrade with a new transmitter as opposed to someone who is still on the G4 Platinum but never upgraded to share, they would actually have to obtain a new receiver, which would be a gen, they'd have to basically obtain a whole Gen 5 system because that re- their, their old G4 Platinum receiver would not be compatible. Uh, is there any plans to phase out the G4? I mean, eventually you're not going to be in the business of making nine different ones, I imagine, but Eventually, but you know, look, we we know our partners. You know, Animus and Tandem are aggressively moving to upgrade their products to accommodate the G5. We certainly need to do right by patients and make sure patients have access to the G5 before we end of life. But certainly, we will end of life G4 Platinum at at some point. But we haven't when it's appropriate for your partnerships. Yep, we haven't we haven't quite cut settled on a date there. Yeah. I think that's just one of those questions. Like when you hear it right away, like, there's a panic in your head, like, but I like this. I don't want it to go away. But I think the fact of the matter is that when it finally goes away, you won't feel like that anymore because other things will have changed. Yeah. And I also, you know, our, our belief internally is that by offering, you know, G5 to these patients, once their glucose values are, are on their phone, uh, it's more than likely that most patients will opt to interact with their glucose on their phone rather than, I mean, you know, people, go out of their way to hide their insulin pumps, you know, either in pockets or, you know, women often hide them in their bra and whatnot. So if you have the ability to look at your CGM, which you're looking at much more frequently than you interact with your pump, um, we, we believe that people will be interacting on their on their phone right. rather than on itself. So, um, okay, so that, that leads me to a different question, I guess. So um, you guys introduced this, this clarity. It's uh, a cloud-based uh, system where I would upload like my daughter's um, receiver information and it would help me look at it and, and find trends and things like that. Mm-hmm. It looks amazing. I, I can't, I actually can't wait to try it. I've never once thought of looking at the data before. Maybe that's because I'm a, <laughs> maybe because I'm a Mac user. I, I never thought of it seriously before, but, <laughs> but, um, but, but even when I saw those old graphs with all those dots, like you look at them, you're like, you know what? Uh, I don't know what any of that means. And so this is going to make sense of that. Um, but I'm going to start off by asking the more difficult questions. So some one person came back to me and they were like, they really wanted to know about privacy issues. So their <laughs> their initial question was, um, you know, how are you reassuring that their that people's data is safe? And um, especially, I guess, with you know, we 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 can't seem to keep banks safe or cheating <laughs> or cheating spouses. So how do yeah. we? So what do you do with this? Yeah, I mean, there. Are, you know, we're we have a level of encryption that, that unfortunately is like equivalent to a bank, right? So for the bank not to be safe doesn't really bode well. But 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're certainly you know there's there's always going to be some risk, but as part of you know the the protocols to to get this data up through a cloud-based system, very very heavily focused on data privacy and data security. You know, I, we have to be comfortable that we're using best-in-class procedures to make sure the data is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know. Like for for me personally, my wife and I spoke about this this morning as she was going out the door. And I said, I have to be honest, I don't think I care if anybody sees Arden's blood sugars. Like, I, I really don't think I mind. But there are people who are just, you know, stringently on the other side of that um, of that thought. The only time it bothers me to think about is, and it, it's a very kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a world where you're, you're really thinking the worst of a lot of people. But it is insurance. And so you start thinking, like, if my insurance company sees my blood sugars, like, does that affect me somehow? Like, can I... Like, could I be denied services later because people saw my my CGM data? But at the same time, we give that data to doctors. I assume it makes it back to my insurance company that way too. Um, do you see a fear in that? Um, like, like, have you guys spoken about that on your end? You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure the doctor is going to be sharing that information with the insurance company. I think the patient would have to be willing to share that information with the insurance company. Right. Um, so the patient would be basically be opting in. I think having the, the cloud-based system just enables a much more seamless transmission of the data, right? Okay. Because not only it's, it's the visualization aspects and the, you know, the, some of the decision support analytics that go into the new Clarity software is, you know, kind of the, the key you know, use case for it, but also the backend having it be cloud-based versus PC-based just makes it much simpler for you know, you and the doctor to access that information on a, on a much more seamless fashion. We, look, we found over the years that patients, very few patients would actually plug their receiver, you know, certainly not from a, a personal use perspective. They were not plugging receivers into the PC to download data other than perhaps maybe to gather a month's worth of data before a doctor's visit where the doctor could then review that, that aggregate data with the patient. So we're hoping that this new system because it's much more simple and hopefully the visualizations are much more appealing and much, you know, again, much more simple and compelling for patients to use, the patients will actually be able to benefit as, as much as the physician. Okay. And so there is no plans for, nor do you imagine in the future, a, a like a desktop version of this software. It's, it's going to... No, I, I, I'm thinking that we're done with PC, with, with you know, hard PC-based software, yeah. Okay. Um uh, let's see. Is it so the, the the seeing of the of the data? Like it, we're going to assume it's not possible for people to see it other than people who I've I, I said is going to be authorized. That's, but that's but correct. but Kevin, when I spoke to Kevin last week, it's been a big Dexcom week here at my house. Um, when I spoke <laughs> when I spoke to Kevin last week, he did talk about kind of pie in the sky conversations about aggregating the masses data and coming up with like is that is that is that far off stuff or is any of that happening right now? Like the- it's not happening yet. I, I think, you know, as, again, as we, as we, you know, join forces with Google, that's somebody you, know, you think about what, what is Google really good at? They're really good at, at population level data. I mm-hmm. mean, but this would be, you know, from a privacy perspective, not something that patients would be concerned about. This is really, um, you know, it's, it's truly de-identified population based data to be able to kind of slice and dice by geography or by payer or by clinic, or, you know, there's, there's all sorts of information we can gather about different, Again, populations of patients, maybe by age group or by sex, or you know, there's there's whole, all all sorts of ways that we could slice and dice the, the big data as we collect it. Right. But it'll all be on a de-identified basis. So it's, it's a very when 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 our internal attorneys look at the, you know, the privacy and data privacy concerns, very fine line between uh, a very hard line between you know 
identifiable patient data versus de-identified kind of population level data. See, I, I genuinely think that, that that kind of thinking is going to lead to better personal day-to-day outcomes for people because I use myself as an example, right? Like I, my daughter is 11. Her last three A1Cs are 6, 6.1, and 5.9. But that's me basically as an adult who is a stay-at-home father, a podcaster, and a blogger. Um, it, it's I can put a lot of my effort and time into staring, watching, seeing what happens the, the amount of time and effort that I had to put into coming up with those numbers is it's, it's not quantifiable even, but if, yeah. but if somebody sure. could come in and, and look at data and then just write back to me and say, look, here's the adjustment periods. I mean, maybe it won't tell you don't eat this exact thing, but it could tell you, what did you eat at two o'clock? Because don't do that again, you, you, you know, or have less of, or that yeah. kind of thing. When that stuff becomes real, I think that not only does it shorten your time from the panic of being diagnosed with type one diabetes to a place where I consider myself to be at now. Um, but I think it also opens that possibility up for everybody because not everyone's, you know, I literally no disrespect to anybody, but not everyone's brains built the same way. Like you could put 10 people in a room and show them the same things and not all of them are going to come up with the same answers that are going to lead to the right, to, you know, to the right place. I mean, is that how you see it? Like long term? Is it a, is it yeah, a, I- Absolutely. So, so clarity, you know, is just the first step. The yeah. clarity is, really, you know, and, and you hit on a couple of really important things. It's a- absolutely taking that data, analyzing it, and boiling it down into plain English, actionable advice for people, as opposed to having people try to be forced to, you know, manipulate the data themselves and come up and draw their own conclusions. <clears throat> so clarity is the first step. We'll identify, you know, it can identify trends in terms of lows and middle of the night highs and lows and, and you know, across the spectrum of the data. But imagine, and this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. So imagine, you know, now that we're, again, now that we're on the phone, you know, the power that people are holding in terms of supercomputing power in their hand on, in, in a smartphone is incredible. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to, over time, and the plans we have over time is to really take it to the next level where we're actually doing real-time data analytics for the patient and being able to, again, offer back real-time decision support uh, you know, in real time on the phone. So, you know, imagine the same thing. Hey, you put up an alert, um, you know, to your daughter, for example, uh, trending up at three milligrams per deciliter per minute. And we've noticed that you've done this the past, you know, few days right after lunch or right after dinner. Either consult with your doctor or, you know, figure out how to take action. There's a, again, there's a, a distinction that has to be drawn between where we can't practice medicine, sure. so we can't necessarily recommend insulin adjustments per se, but we can certainly make you help, help detect. Yeah, help detect things the patient might not otherwise be aware of, and then either guide them to you know to just thinking it through how you might adjust your therapy yourself, or or certainly go go talk to your physician and help adjust your uh, adjust your therapy. Yeah, I think it would be easy to overstate and just say, well, I see it. I you know I see what's happening to my blood sugar, but when you're in the moment, living day to day. You don't always stop. If something flashed up in front of me, if I got a text message or something like that that said, hey, this is happening, it would pause you for a second and give you a chance. Listen, I have to tell you, from my point of view, I think even if you're a person who's very privacy concerned, I think the benefits outweigh the the risks here are huge. I would much rather have my kid with a great A1C then sit around worrying that some 17-year-old hacker is going to find their way into my blood sugars. So, and you know, that that's for, that's how I say. Okay, so let me let me talk to you a little bit about the G5 and and the workings of it. So, right now people have they have, you know, they have a, a transmitter on their body. It sends a signal to the receiver. 
G5 still going to have that receiver if you want it, but you can do without it if you have a, an iPhone or an iPod, that kind of stuff at this point. Um, it's going to talk back and forth through Bluetooth. People are a little worried about the battery in their phone um, not lasting. I guess a, a lot of people's batteries don't make it throughout the day already. Do you see this cutting into battery life on people's phones? You know, we've done a significant amount of testing there. I will tell you, it varies dramatically uh, person to person, depending on their other, you know, the other use cases in their phone and what mm -hmm. other apps are running. And so I, I would say, you know, for a, what I would characterize as a standard person using, you know, using a phone as we would sort of generally think, you know, checking a few emails and text messages and things versus, you know, constantly streaming video, et cetera, right. that it really, it has a negligible impact. I okay. mean, people, you know, I, I think people will become pretty accustomed to when I sit at my desk, for example, I plug my phone yeah, sure. in because I because I might as well keep it charged all the time. Right. You never know when you, right. yeah. you never know when you so, need it. So the the app on the phone is is sort of if I'm say I'm sharing with somebody else, right? So the app on the phone is sending that information up to the cloud up to your your server, your cloud server. So I can see my daughter's it's no different than before. It's just there's no receiver there. The the information's coming right. from the transmitter of the phone up to the cloud, back down to my phone. Um people people That's are, right. a lot of people are asking me, um, can they wear an Apple Watch and not carry a phone? Unfortunately, not today. Um, we've spoken to Apple about that very specific and we think very important use case. Uh, but today, there are no, no apps on the phone that don't, I'm sorry, on the watch that don't have to be basically paired to the phone. Yeah, right, because the watch can't make it to the internet on its own. Exactly. Okay. And so we would love... Well, but here's, you know, but think about the use case for someone exercising, for example. If you want to go for a run, you might not want to carry your phone with you, but you can wear your Apple Watch. It, it, it's absolutely technically feasible if Apple makes the decision to open it up. I see. So have maybe, maybe, maybe the watch, good. I'm so sorry. I, you, you, you skipped for a second, and then I talked over top of you. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so what I was going to say is because I don't know what you were going to say. Um, what I was going to say, <laughs> what I was going to say is, so you could use kind of a, a stripped down version of the product on the watch. You, you, sure, it couldn't send to the cloud anymore, but you could still see your blood sugar on it. Exactly. So rather than use your your phone as the receiver, in theory, you would have Bluetooth connectivity, Bluetooth direct connection from the transmitter to the watch, mm -hmm. and the patient would have the ability, at a minimum, to see their glucose levels. And obviously, when you paired back up with the phone after a run or something, it would be able to send all the data back up to the cloud at that point. Okay, okay. And we are, I asked Kevin this, but it's such, it's still, it remains a, a large issue in my life with Dexcom right now. We're waiting, if I'm understanding right, for the fall iOS update to the iPhone to cut into the lag that I see between the watch and the app. Uh, I, I get. I know it doesn't happen to everybody. I get lag on the watch with the Dexcom app. Um, okay. Like I'll okay. I'll I'll lift it up and see the last blood sugar, and I'll go. Well, that was the last time I looked, and I wait and I wait and wait, and the watch will time out before I get a new one. And sometimes I actually have to open the app on my phone to get it to update to the watch. Now I don't know if that's specifically personal to my setup, but I did have an opportunity to talk to some of your tech guys recently, and they really thought it had a lot to do with how the iOS is set up with the watch right now and that that's expected to change at the next version. Do you know anything about that? Okay. No, I'm going to defer to the tech guys on that one. I'm actually an Android user. I'm actually an Android user, full disclosure. So, <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, so, so, okay. So people are asking me too about other watches. Is there any mm -hmm. in the future, do you see yourself going to other smartwatches? 
I do. To the extent um, we develop the software or not, I, you know, we're, it, you know, for example, we, we've done some work with uh, with the Pebble Watch, uh, and we've uh, done some work with some of the Samsung watches. So I think we certainly aren't going to support everything, but to the extent there are other watches that make sense to support, yeah, I think we would be open to doing that down the road. Um. All right. Uh, some kind of all right. So here's the one that nobody ever has an answer to. But I just realized. I just looked recently, Stephen. I saw that a lot more people listen to this podcast in Europe than I thought they did. Um, so I have a lot of Canadian listeners and a lot of European listeners, and they all want to know the same thing: like win for us. So do you have answers for that? I know it's a more convoluted system, but so I'm going to be a little bit quieter. Yeah, I do have answers, but I can't share them with you today. But I would tell you just stay tuned. Okay, that seems it, fair. It that's, it's, it's optimistic, so yeah, just just stay tuned. All right, all right. How about um? How about can I let? Actually, this is not something I would do, but something someone asked about. Could a school nurse look at the data on a web browser, or do they have to have an iOS device still? That's a great question. I think they have to have an iOS device. Um. Okay. Well, but, but, but remember that iOS device doesn't necessarily need to be a phone, and this is something that I, I you know, I, I think will, will become ever prevalent. You know, I've had some parents question, you know, do you really want me to send my preschooler or my my first grader to school with an iPhone? And the short answer is sure, if you're comfortable with that. But if not, you could always send them to, to school with a like an iPod Touch, right? Because it'll pair with an iPod Touch, and you know, most schools today have Wi-Fi. Certainly in the classrooms, if not, you know, even broadcast over the, the entirety of the school. So you would still have that connectivity. Yeah, you'd lose it on the bus ride home or, you know, the, the times without having that true cellular internet connectivity that you wouldn't have coverage. But for the vast majority of the day, there is a solution outside of having to have that, you know, that, that cellular connection that would be available to patients. Well, I will say this. Arden, my daughter is 11. She just turned 11. She's had an iPhone um, because of her diabetes in one way or another since she was in kindergarten. She's never lost yeah. never lost one, never broke it. I I could argue that it taught her an amazing sense of responsibility. I mean, would I have been surprised if she came home one day and was like, "Hey, I kicked this across the parking lot and I broke it in half?" I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been, but it yeah. has it really has been you know, she she's the kind of kid, you know, when we we went to the school the first time and said, "Look, we can't just be on the Wi-Fi. We would like to be on the teacher's Wi-Fi." And they were like, "Sure, no problem." And we brought them the phone. I said, I don't even want to know your password. You go, just key it in yourself. And the, and the principal keyed it in, and he looks at Arden, and he looks at her and goes, it's just for your for your CGM and to text with your dad about your blood sugar. Nothing else. And right. she, she took that so seriously that yeah. one night we were in the school in the evening to get like pictures taken for sports or something. And she was yeah. waiting around, and she looked at me, and she said, can I look at Instagram while we're here? Like she was, <laughs> She was that concerned about it, you know? And I know every kid's not the same, but... Right, I would right. say it, it really did leave her with a lot of a lot of responsibility for for something that that she sees as you know as being important and expensive and, and that kind of stuff. So, a um, couple app questions: Why does it not turn to landscape? Uh, it does turn to landscape. Uh, oh, it, it's, it's so G5, you have you haven't seen the G five you haven't seen the G five application yet. No, it does turn to landscape, and in fact, it's it's quite elegant. You can actually when it's in landscape mode. You can actually run your finger down the trend, and, and it'll show you the time and, and, and show you the blood glucose values at various times of the day. It's, it's actually it's actually quite nice. The 
what you're talking about is the share application, which right. is the, the new G5. The new G5 patient app is much, much different. Well, I, I can tell you we should pause here because there's a lot of people with headphones on right now, grocery shopping, who are clapping because that was a big question for people. They wanted to know about <laughs> they want to know about landscape. They also want to know you change the colors. Um, is it going to be one or can they? Is there a night mode or is it just going to be the colors we see in these couple of? Uh... Yeah, initially I, I believe it's just the the kind of that white and yellow um, uh, color scheme that you see there. And we calibrate through the app. Yep, you can calibrate directly on the phone app. That's right. Full, full, full functionality on the phone. That's right. Hey, how about this? I was given a promo image of a girl with a very flat stomach who it looks like the G5 has been photoshopped onto her, but some people are wondering if you're already fooling with skin-colored adhesives. Photoshop? I'm not sure which, which image <laughs> you're referring to, so I'll have to defer on that one. Okay, okay. Um, so, I mean, really, it's... Fantastic news, and, and I, I can hit you with a couple of last little questions and let you out of this because you've been really kind, and I know how busy you guys are. Um, getting away from the idea of the G4, um, I just people are literally just want me to remind you um, that the people who have trouble with the adhesives have a lot of trouble with it, and they would really appreciate it if you would continue to try to find yeah. alternatives. Um, and rest assured that there are, there are projects on ter- ongoing internally. We're always studying you know different, new, and better adhesives. No, so I know. and trust me, I. Ask Kevin this two weeks ago, yeah. but it's such a big, you know, the, I've seen pictures too. I mean, the, the people who it hits, it hits so hard. It's, it's, you know, it, 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 it takes away something from them that I would tell you, I, I rattled off Arden's A1Cs recently, but those A1Cs don't happen without the, without the Dexcom. Like, I mean, you, you're, yeah. that's whatever you did today, my daughter and everyone else who's wearing one, you, you help their health in a way that, you know, it, it's hard to put into words really. So, um, yeah, no, we, we, I appreciate it. I can't speak for everybody else, but I can tell you that when I asked for questions for Kevin, more people asked me to hug him. I think they thought I was going to be in the room with him. <laughs> they wanted me to hug him a lot. I was like, well, I'm not going to be with him, but, uh, and I'm not <laughs> hugging him one way or the other, but okay. So, um, uh, when the receiver and the phone are together, will one override the other? Uh, no, because the, so they will, the, the transmitter compared to two devices simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And remember, when you enter a calibration point, whether you enter that calibration on the phone or on the receiver, the calibration point is being picked up and processed in the transmitter. And so when the transmitter then spits back a glucose value, it's spitting back the same information to both the receiver and the phone. So that, that brings me to a question. Am I, does my, in order, if we, at some point, people had to follow themselves on their own phone. They were, they were running the share and the follow app, but that's not, that's not going to be necessary anymore. There's one app. It's going to be sharing. That's to correct. The, okay. So I don't have to yeah, follow yeah, myself. The patient anymore. will have the gen five, the patient will have the gen five app, which will be a fully functional TGM application that will, because of its connected na- nature, it will have share functionality built into it. Okay. All right. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I don't want to hold you up any longer than I have to. Um, I could ask you a ton of other questions that aren't specific to this, but I don't want to muddle this episode. Um, I think this was very kind of you to do, and um, I appreciate it. I'm sure everybody listening appreciates it, and it will all keep us from having to read frequently asked questions. Um, When do you think, when are you imagining shipping? Yeah, you know, we we uh, committed in our press release to late September, so I think we're, we're going to stick with that for now. Yeah, I mean, it's only it's four weeks, right? It's it's hard to yeah. even think of yeah. moving that up. Doesn't seem even big. You know what's interesting is because, 
and I'm sure I'm going to tell you something that you guys probably bang your head against the wall about every day, but because technology moves so quickly nowadays and everyone's so accustomed to just upgrading all the time, it's difficult, 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 difficult the minute something new comes out, not to think the thing I have is garbage now, but I would, <laughs> I would remind people that the Dexcom G4 with share that you have right now, or even prior to that is, is really fantastic medical technology. And, and you're not, you know, if you have to wait three months until it's your time, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. And to, and to emphasize that, you know, particularly if you have the G4 Platinum with Share, you know, you have the Share and Follow functionality. Remember, the sensor, if you have G4 Platinum, and as long as you've upgraded your uh, your software to the Software 505 platform, you have the same basic from a, what's most important, right? The accuracy and performance of the sensor and the alerts and the alarms. You have the core features and functionality. So waiting, you know, you, you know it, 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 it's not as if the, the thing... The prior thing is becoming obsolete. And so when this ships in September, will people with pediatric G4s be able to upgrade their their firmware? Yeah, so, so well, it depends on which receiver they have. But, yes, the answer is that G5 is approved for both adults and peds. So, yeah, everybody will be able to just take advantage of it. Okay. And even though anybody can get one with, with a doctor's, like with a doctor's recommendation, when they say pediatric, what's the age group on that? It's uh, down to two years of age. Down to two. And, like... And okay, because my Arden doesn't use a pediatric receiver. She, we, I don't know how that worked out. I think we, our doctor did something, but I don't even, it's been so long now, I don't even remember. So before I let you go, and then I yep. promise I will let you go, because <laughs> I can't even articulate it. What, what is the difference between the pediatric and the, and the adult receivers? So the adult receiver is the adult receivers that are being shipped today have the new software 505 algorithm. The pediatric receivers do not. We did receive approval somewhat recently for the pediatric software 505, but because it was stacked so closely to the G5, anticipated G5 launch, we just made the decision to hold off and, and launch it for everybody with Gen 5. And but but the difference between there's just like a couple more screens. Like is it more like is it is it safety stuff that the FDA had you put in that makes it a pediatric or like aren't there a couple screens that don't exist for and I don't even know because I've never seen it. But maybe yeah. I mean, the, most, the most important aspect is that it doesn't have the, the latest, greatest, most accurate software out in terms of the the, the glucose algorithm. But yeah, the FDA did. Um, did require a couple of additional screens in the initial version of the pediatric product. I don't believe with Gen 5, I believe those screens have been eliminated. Well, it sounds like it all goes away now because they were approved together once you're... I, I, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, I can't shake your hand, but I would if you were here. <laughs> and um, I appreciate you doing this. I want to let you know, just like I let Kevin know, it's going to pretty much go up exactly like this. There's very little reason to... Kevin's like, people don't want to listen to this. And I was like, yeah, you, wait, you should see how many people <laughs> listen to it. People really want to listen to it. So um, I'm going to do the same with yours. You were fantastic. And um, to be honest, it's going to go up later tonight. And I'll make sure somebody gets a copy of it to you. Great. Yeah, if you would mind emailing it to uh, to one of us, that'd be awesome. No, that'd be beautiful. All right, Steve, have a great day. And congratulations on the uh, the approval. And we look forward to you guys pushing forward as fast as you can. We'll, so. we'll, we'll keep pushing. Yep, thank yeah. you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening to this week's episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Next week will be a conversation with uh, a mom. 
Um, and uh, I know we were stacked up a little bit at Dexcom, Dexcom here two weeks in a row, but there was a lot going on, a lot of excitement. It seemed timely, and I wanted to keep up with it. You can find me online, social media, pretty much anywhere, at Juicebox Podcast or at Arden's Day. My type 1 diabetes parenting blog, Arden's Day, is at ardensday.com. And you can listen to Juicebox Podcast at juiceboxpodcast.com on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please, if you're listening on iTunes, take a minute to leave a rating and a review. Uh, but most all, if you're finding the podcast enjoyable or informative or any mixture of those two, please share it with a friend. Okay, that's pretty much it. I'll be back next week.